0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about the psychology of negotiation. And today, we're telling the real-life story of a consulting client of mine. We'll call her Sally. Sally had a parcel of land that Mark wanted to buy. Mark's a developer, and he fancied himself a hard-driving negotiator. The agreement of purchase and sale was not drafted using the industry standard forms from the Real Estate Board. It was a custom document drafted by Mark's lawyer. It was a complex multi-page document with numerous exit clauses that favored the buyer. And the last draft received from Mark's lawyer had a number of clauses designed to give full control over the property for the next two years, but not the obligation to buy it. Mark would retain the ability to back out of the deal at any time in the next two years if he felt that in the short term the numbers had changed and it no longer favored him as a developer. Not surprisingly, the seller wasn't very enthusiastic at the possibility of paying the carrying costs on the property, being unable to sell it to anybody else in the next two years with no assurance the property would in fact sell. The entire deal hinged on whether Mark would be willing to buy the property. He had an option, but no obligation. But here's the problem. Sally had no negotiating leverage. She wanted to sell the property, but was completely at Mark's mercy to buy the property from her. Over the period of several months, the negotiation had changed several times. Trust was being eroded on both sides, and Sally's lawyer was convinced that Mark wasn't even serious about buying the property. Now, I'm here to tell you that this deal finally got completed, but it took several steps to regain Sally's negotiating leverage. The first step was to find an alternate buyer for a portion of the land, even if it was at a lower price. It wouldn't be the sale that Sally wanted, but it was a sale that she could live with. And from this vantage point, Sally could go back to Mark the buyer and let him know there was another buyer in the mix. She let him know that if he wanted the property, the closing would need to happen in the next 30 to 60 days, and that he would need to make a firm agreement with no conditions. Mark came back and countered he would agree to a firm agreement, subject to getting clean marketable title and passing an environmental assessment. Well, here's where things got a little tricky. Sally's father had used part of the property to store various cars, trucks, and pieces of farm equipment that he wanted to restore someday. Those pieces of equipment posed a risk on the environmental side. If they happened to leak oil into the ground, they could be a source of contamination. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but it was still a risk. So my advice to Sally was to have the oil removed from the equipment immediately, and then to have the equipment removed and sold for scrap. A few thousand dollars of scrap metal was putting the entire viability of the land sale at risk. I then advised Sally to order her own environmental assessment. That way, she would know what risk, if any, she was facing in the negotiation. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's important to know what you're dealing with. And once she got the assessment, she was able to negotiate from a position of strength. Finally, I recommended that Sally order her own title report for the property. That way, she would know if there were any issues that would affect the transfer of the property and the developer's use of the property for the construction of a residential subdivision. Here, too, it was a matter of knowing. When you've got certainty in your own mind, you can approach the negotiation with a lot more confidence than if you have doubts. That certainty is intangible, but it's vital. When you're speaking with the other side, they're going to feel your confidence. Now came time to paper the agreement. I advised Sally to use the fact that she's a licensed realtor to her advantage. Using the state's real estate board standard forms, she should draft the agreement of purchase and sale on the standard forms, and any deviation from the standard terms would be listed in an attachment. The terms on the attachment were no more than half a page. At first, Mark objected to the standard forms and said his lawyer would draft the agreement. Sally stood firm and simply offered that if he had any objections to the term of the standard agreement, his lawyer could suggest redline changes. Mark was aware of the equipment on the property and he said the cleanup of the equipment was a condition of the sale. He probably knew it would take several weeks to get everything disposed of and the cleanup of the site would delay closing. So I advised Sally to treat the presence of the equipment as a defect. The escrow agent could hold up to $50,000 in escrow until the cleanup of the site was done. And if the cleanup wasn't completed by a deadline after closing, the $50,000 would revert back to the buyer to pay for the cleanup. Now clearly... The cleanup of a few pieces of equipment was not going to cost anywhere near fifty grand. By putting a big enough number as a holdback from closing, Sally was able to demonstrate to the buyer that she was confident in her ability to clean up the site. And more importantly, it signaled to the buyer that she was in control. As part of the negotiation, Sally insisted that the purchase deposit be non-refundable. Again, this was about gaining control. Mark agreed to this, subject to having clean marketable title. If Sally didn't deliver the property on the closing date, the deposit would be fully refundable. Mark came back and said he wanted the deposit to be held by an escrow agent. So Sally offered to make Mark's lawyer the trustee for the deposit, and that she would draft a letter of direction to the trustee on the distribution of funds for Mark's signature. So Mark signing that letter of direction to his lawyer with Sally's words. In the end, Mark realized the effect would be the same as simply giving Sally the money. Each one of these steps were designed to put the negotiating leverage back in Sally's hands. Notice that the purchase price never changed throughout the entire negotiation. It was all about maintaining control and negotiating leverage. I'm pleased to tell you that Sally completed the sale last week, something that would have never been possible if she hadn't regained her negotiating leverage. Congratulations to Sally on a successful sale. As you think about that, pay very close attention to when you're dealing with a professional negotiator. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.